2: Bruce exclusive. Welcome back. You know, this week is going to be primarily filled with 53 man roster projections. That's just the way it is. The Buffalo Bills are getting ready to this weekend play their final preseason game, and everyone wants to make sure they get ahead of it. Well, I'm going to one up them. I am going to get ahead of something we should probably not even be talking about yet, but I want to make sure that we're on top of things. And so while everybody else is doing 53-man roster projections, and yes, we are going to do those, stay tuned, but I want to have a chat because there's something else that happens this weekend aside from the Bills playing their final preseason game, and that is college football starts. But Bruce, this isn't a college football podcast. Well, I mean, it kind of is. From the time the NFL season ends... Until the time the draft ends, what are we talking about? We're talking about college football players. We're talking about the way that they would potentially fit with the Buffalo Bills and some names to watch. But if you want to get a head start on that and you don't want to be playing Crash Course, because we all know we skated by a few times in school, we skated by a few times whether that was grade school, high school, college, master's degree, Ph.D., somebody skated through by cramming before the exam. But I don't want you to cram before the exam. I want you to start ahead of time. And this weekend, there is college football on, which means we're going to get ahead of things. And in order to do that, and in order to keep our eye on the appropriate players in college football this particular year so that when we get to the NFL draft, we're not going, gosh, I don't know who's that guy. I brought in someone who I wanted to have a chat with. I brought in Chris Trapasso, CBS Sports. Chris, thanks so much for being here, man.
1: Bruce, it is awesome to come on after that intro that you are setting the scene for not only the last Bills preseason game, but the start of college football, and I am thrilled to have a full crop of new prospects to watch this fall. I'm not crazy big on putting cemented grades on NFL draft prospects before their final season. It's kind of the same issue that I think arises with the preseason AP poll coming out and then teams that were probably inflated where they were ranked ultimately hanging on to a high ranking when they don't deserve it. But It is very important, I think, to get a little bit of a head start. So on Saturday, when you're lounging around the house, waiting for that Bills game, you can flip on the TV and not just watch college football because it's awesome, but watch with a specific player or two or three in mind when you're watching the SEC or the ACC or the Big Ten. That's one of the things that I think is really valuable about having your ear to the ground during
2: Mm -hmm. the college football season is going into the weekend going, okay. I'm going to watch my team. If I have a team, I'm going to watch my team. My wife and I, we're Buckeye fans. That's the way it works. But when we're not watching the Buckeyes, one of the most attractive things my wife has ever said to me, she said to me recently, and that was, you know, I think I want to watch more college football this year. And I was like, can you marry me again? But I want to watch more college football this year because I always want to watch more college football. And I want to go into the game specifically looking at players to keep an eye on so that when I get to the end of the season, I'm not scrambling to catch up. And so I wanted to have you on. I wanted to chat quite frankly, we could make this a three hour podcast with all the different things we could talk about, but I wanted to specifically talk about some positions of interest for Buffalo bills fans going into the 2022 season. Now we all know this could change a lot. A lot can happen in a year. The things that you think you're team will be focused on may not be anything at all what they're actually focused on. I don't think a lot of people thought going into the 2021 NFL draft, there would be a significant push for a running back in the first round before the year started because the Bills had just drafted Zach Moss and they had added to their running back stable. But sure enough, the narrative showed up. So there's four things specifically I wanted to talk about when it comes to college football positions, interior offensive line, interior defensive line, cornerback, and tight end. Tight end, pretty self-explanatory. If Dawson Knox doesn't work out, that's going to be something where they're like, okay, you know what? Three years is enough. Let's start to look at another player. Interior defensive line, mostly because the one tech position is a little bit uncertain for the future. We don't know if Harrison Phillips is going to be that guy. Star Tule certainly not that guy long term moving forward. And then there is the dreaded thing in the back of our head going, what if Ed Oliver doesn't turn the corner this year? What if he's just okay? What if he's reasonable? In addition to that, we have previous behaviors from this staff when they were in Carolina that they'll double down on interior defensive linemen. We know they did. they took K1 short. And they were like, we don't even need this guy. We're three deep with first round picks now. Starla Tule and Vernon Butler and KK Short. And we don't know what we're doing, right? All of them were high picks. Not KK Short was a second round pick, but they're all high picks. So the last position was interior offensive line. And that is because you have players like John Feliciano where you could get out of this contract at the end of next year. You have Mitch Morse that restructured his contract and might be gone after this year. So interior offensive line. Might be something that they're looking for, and then I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna put cornerback on here. I know they're never gonna draft a cornerback high because they they enjoy hurting me, and they don't like me being happy. They don't want Bruce to have nice things, but we're gonna do it because I say we're gonna do it, and that's the only reason why. So, Chris, those four things, are you ready? I am ready, absolutely. Okay, let's start with the most interesting position of the group. Let's start with tight end. Let's start with the scenario, okay, Dawson Knox doesn't take the next step. First off, before we get even into it, I have long professed the idea that tight end is a slow developing position in the NFL because you're learning lots of different things. And the way they're using college isn't even close to being the way that a lot of teams are using them in the NFL. You got to learn a lot of stuff. You got to block on the edge. You got to run routes like a receiver. You got to read coverages on the run. It's a whole different thing is three years enough? Like if if Dawson Knox doesn't end up becoming a really good player this year, do you think first off, it's even reasonable for me to be looking at the tight end position going, okay, let's go back to the well again?
1: It's kind of a two-part question. I think by the third year, if Dawson Knox doesn't take a noticeable step forward in terms of just one area, his reliability catching the football. And I know with... Wide receivers, we kind of have gone away from the idea that we shouldn't get too enamored with drop rate for a wide receiver because if it's a number one or a number two, he's going to see 80 plus targets a season. Even if a drop rate is four or 5%, it's not accounting for a high percentage of his targets and he's going to make up for those drops with some great catches down the field. Tight end is a smaller sample size. They're not going to be as high volume, especially in this Bills offense that runs more three plus wide receiver sets than any team in the NFL. At least that was the case last year. And I presume it's going to be the case this season with that being said, I think Dawson Knox, if there are easy throws that he's dropping when they are targeting him, then that's going to be a problem. And by the third year, even for someone like Dawson Knox, uh, who we know came out of Ole Miss on the same team as A.J. Brown and Van Jefferson and D.K. Metcalf, that he wasn't throwing the football very much, and there was going to be, like you said, a longer maturation process, maybe even more so than other tight ends um, in the NFL. Even with that being the case, I think after three years, if we don't see uh, a sizable step forward for him, I think the Bills probably should look relatively early, like they did with Dawson Knox in the in the third round at the tight end position, because I still think there is mismatch value there, that the Bills understand what they have with Josh Allen, with Brian Dable, and certainly with the, the immense talent at the top and in terms of depth at the receiver spot. But at tight end, if you have that mismatch guy, uh, you really can't game plan to stop him. And this tight end class isn't great, um, but I think there's, a fair amount of pressure on Dawson Knox to be that reliable possession guy, along with, you know, a few of those acrobatic catches down the football field this season. Okay. So let's assume that it's reasonable
2: for us to even look at the tight end position. Where Mm -hmm. would you be looking for somebody? And do you think there's people in this draft class? And I know it's really weird that I say an oxymoron, a, plug and play tight end but someone who maybe doesn't have the same learning curve that a Dawson Knox would have because Dawson Knox we all knew it was going to be long it's always long for a tight end but he was even longer because Mm -hmm. he was a converted quarterback are there players out there who are more experienced who are coming this year going you know what I think based on what this guy's being
1: asked to do based on what he's done in college I think he can have an impact year one there's one tight end who stands out, and that's Jeremy Ruckert from your Ohio State Buckeyes. He looks like the only tight end as of right now, like you mentioned, it's still very early. The only tight end that feels like he could, you could kind of pencil him into the first round. That there have been some drafts like two years ago, Cole Komet was the first tight end uh, and didn't go into the second round. So it's not like there always needs to be, and historically, there's always a tight end in the first round. But Ruckert at his size, with his athleticism, like legitimate juice off the line of scrimmage, speed through the second level down the seam. And then most importantly, and I think you're kind of alluding to it with uh when you're saying what tight ends do in college compared to the NFL, he's a great blocker. Like he can move defensive ends in the run game for as dynamic as Ohio State has been through the air uh, with Justin Fields. And even before that, with the one season. Uh, with Dwayne Haskins throwing 50 touchdowns, they still like to run the football and have pumped out a lot of quality offensive linemen, or at least prospects that have gone high uh, in the trenches. Jeremy Ruckert, I thought if he would have entered last year's draft class, he probably would have been a third or a fourth-round pick. He really has the separation ability, the speed. He just looks like a three-down tight end. Him and Jalen Weidermeyer of Texas A&M are the cream of the crop, but if we're talking like... The Bills want to use maybe a late first or even a second round pick. Jeremy Ruckert seems to be like the cream of the crop at the tight end spot in this draft class. I think one of the things that's interesting
2: about Ruckert is that there were a bunch of rumors around him potentially coming out last year. Whenever you have a player who is so well thought of that they have to make an announcement on their social media that they're coming back, that's usually someone to keep an eye on for the next year because that's someone who comes into the year with enough hype you know, Ruckert is going to help break in a new quarterback with the Buckeyes again. So that's going to be an option for him. Now, I understand that, you know, when you have a Lave and company at wide receiver, it can be hard to really, you know, figure out, carve out your role. But I think Rucker can potentially do it. We are here with Chris Trabasso from CBS Sports. We're having a chat about people to keep an eye on in college football that could be Bill's targets down the line. We talked about tight end. Now I want to talk about a different place. And I want to talk about something that's near and dear to my heart. Let's talk about cornerbacks. Now we all know they're not going to do it because we've already established that they hate me, but in the event that they were going to do it in the event that they said, you know what, this is the year we want to get a high upside, low cost starter, opposite Tredavious white, because Levi Wallace has been perfectly reasonable, but he's a free agent. You have a seventh round pick out of Pitt behind him who we thought was going to challenge for the job. And despite what Leslie Frazier says about them being neck to neck, it does not seem that that's probably the case. I love Leslie Frazier. I think his nose got a little bit longer when he said that. But knowing that Dane Jackson's probably not the answer at that spot, where could the Bills potential look knowing full well the type of defense that run is still going to be a zone primary defense, but you want to have that athleticism, that flexibility that allows you to
1: do man. What should we be looking for? Two cornerbacks, one from the SEC, one from the Pac-12. Roger McCreary from Auburn, to me, just kind of feels like a Sean McDermott cornerback. That, And I think a little bit of this is coach speak, but I really believe it when Sean McDermott says it, that he prioritizes tackling reliability in his cornerbacks. And Roger McCreary like looks like a safety. He's listed at six foot 190, but he just seems like his upper body is built like he's already been in an NFL strength and conditioning program. Go back to the Auburn LSU game in 2019, LSU's most difficult game in that national title winning season. Roger McCreary pretty much locked up. Jamar chase in that game, very physical at the line of scrimmage, but he's good sinking in zone. Uh, he's been very, very experienced. He's been a starter since that 2019 season. So at least two years coming into this season, playing in the sec facing Jamar chase, Justin Jefferson, the Alabama receivers, uh, he's good in zone. I like how physical he is at the beginning of the line of scrimmage or those first five yards. And, I think the zone production can be there as well because he's a pretty good athlete. He's not a crazy athlete, but I'm listing him based on me agreeing with what you said about where the bills seemingly prioritize the cornerback spot. I don't think unless he has a huge season this fall, that Roger McCreary is going to be even a first or probably not even a second round pick, but getting into the late stages of day two, or maybe even early day three, he just feels like that value selection that would come in being battle tested in the sec faced, a bunch of high quality future NFL players. The physicality is there. He's going to make a lot of tackles, not miss many seems like a bill's type. The other player that I think has a little more upside that fits that mold that you were describing. And I completely agree that they do seem to like uh, those instinctive twitchier corners that can make plays with their eyes on the quarterback is Trent McDuffie from Washington. And we know that over the past really decade, Washington has been a defensive back factory. There's been a lot of really good safety linebacker hybrids, corners that have entered the NFL. Trent McDuffie is kind of the next in line. He's 5'11", 195. So he has, to me, good size to play on the outside in today's NFL. 6'1", 6'2", anymore. It's almost better to be a little bit smaller now that we're in this separation-based era for wide receivers. And the lightness in his feet, the explosion when he needs to click and close on a comeback route or an in-breaking route looks like probably second or third round pick at worst. I could see him actually going a little bit higher than this. Uh, We haven't really seen him play very much because, of course, the Pac-12 only played four games uh, last season in their kind of abridged COVID year last year so. I think those two players, and there's, it's a good cornerback class. I think that is one of the strengths of the 2022 class in general, but those two feel like they fit the zone uh, specialist mold, and they'll probably be available a little bit later in the draft, unless six years in the Bills say, hey, let's go cornerback, but I'm with you. I I, I would like to have seen them address cornerback a little earlier, and they just just have not done that in these last couple of drafts. Let me ask you about the Pac-12 because of mm-hmm. the abbreviated season
2: last year from the Pac-12. Do you think there's a chance we see really significant risers from that conference this year? Because it's one of the things I've been kind of mulling around is if I should really be watching a lot of Pac-12 after dark, you know, because everyone loves them. Some Pac-12 after dark loves them, some some eleven o'clock p.m. Oregon USC games, but specifically because of how abbreviated the season was, I kind of wonder if maybe some Pac-12 players are going to seemingly come out of nowhere. There are people that scouts have had their eyes on for a long time, but from a media availability standpoint and a pub standpoint, I feel like there's going to be some players who really rocket into national prominence. Do you agree with that?
1: I do. And I 100% agree with you, Bruce, that Pac-12 after dark is a must every single Saturday. It's like my favorite thing to fall asleep to uh, every Saturday in the fall. But I agree. I think there were players, I mean, maybe not positions that the Bills would be interested in, but like I I look at Jaden Daniels, the quarterback from Arizona State, who was a big recruit, was so good as a freshman, looked like ready to play. And then last year, took a step back. Dorian Thompson Robinson, the quarterback that we will see this weekend for UCLA, another big recruit, took actually, I thought, a step forward last year, but wasn't uh, someone that was amazing in that second season, and it was just a weird year. They the Pac 12 didn't think that they were going to play, they announced that they canceled the season, and then late in the year, they played like in December, uh, four games. It was such a strange season. I think we will see a lot of uh risers and players that we that we might never talk about pre season starting, and we could sit here for three or four hours and try to run through rosters and not really be sure. Who could be those premier prospects from the Pac 12 that ultimately will be during the pre draft process? So there's two games this weekend
2: Nebraska, Illinois, and Hawaii, UCLA. You mentioned the corner from UCLA, who you'll probably be keeping your eye on. Of those two games, which one's more exciting to you from a draft standpoint?
1: It's gotta be UCLA and Hawaii. I think just the style of play that both of those offenses, obviously with Chip Kelly uh, being there at UCLA and then Hawaii, they like to spread it out. Uh, and just Illinois is in the midst of rebuilding. Um, and I think Nebraska will be better in the fourth season under Scott Frost, but there's not a ton of marquee talent in that Big Ten game. But UCLA, I think, has slowly but surely rebuilt that program Um, under Chip Kelly and beyond Dorian Thompson Robinson. There's a few other players uh, that I think their left tackle, which his name is escaping me right now, their left tackle is an interesting prospect that I watched over the summer. So I think that game, if you're really just wanting to dive deep right away in week zero uh, to the NFL draft from like watching a game from that perspective, it's probably that one.
2: You're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. Stick with me. We got more things
0: to talk about. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome back,
2: everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. We are here. With CBS Sports' Chris Trapasso, we are getting you all ready for the 2021 college football season so that you have something to keep your eye on. Right? Make sure you keep an eye on the Buffalo Bills, but also kind of keep the eye on the peripheral vision of the college landscape, even if you're not a big college guy, because every single player who's a big name in college could potentially be a Buffalo Bill later on. We talked about Cornerbacks, which of course are near and dear to my heart. We talked about tight ends, which are not as near and dear to my heart, but you know, they're still fun to have. But now we're going to talk about the big uglies. We're going to talk about interior offensive linemen, interior defensive linemen. We're going to start with interior offensive line. I mentioned that there's a chance that neither Mitch Morse or John Feliciano is on this team next year, but I would be very, very willing to bet that one of them is not on this team next year. And as you look toward interior offensive line, and you know that the bills are in kind of a weird scenario where I'll be very interested to see what the bills run game looks like this year, because I thought going into 2020 that I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, what type of players the bills were going to be looking for. But then there was a shift from more man and gap schemes to more zone schemes in 2020. And I'll level with you. I have no idea what we're going to see in 2021. So I feel like the let's try and find interior offensive alignment that quote unquote fit the bill, pun intended, is a little bit more difficult to talk about right now than it will be at the end of this year. But with that being said, I want to talk about interior offensive linemen.
1: So take it away. What do you think? I haven't dove super deep into the ear interior offensive line, but I will start by saying this is typically if we, if I can jump back on this podcast, even in a couple of weeks or months, or even just during uh, the draft season, this is my wheelhouse. I can get into a trance watching interior offensive linemen. It's my favorite thing to scout, even just any type of blockers. I, I love watching the play in the trenches. I think at the top, there is one player, and I know it's a running joke on Twitter, but I think it's legitimate, that Sean McDermott is going to love because he has an insane (laughs) wrestling background. Tyler Linderbaum from Iowa, just the program, almost like the feeder program, it feels like, for what the Bills want, to be this blue-collar team uh, that has a lot of great leaders and very physical and fundamentally sound players. Tyler Linderbaum, before I get into just what he does on the field, his claim to fame, I think right now, if I was him, would be the fact that he pinned or beat, uh completely blanking on his name, Tristan Wirfs. Jeez, Tristan Wirfs in a wrestling match in high school. And Tyler Linderbaum is a center. He was much smaller than Tristan Wirfs, who's now basically an all-pro right tackle for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, so I think, have an inkling that Sean McDermott will really like that about Tyler Linderbaum. He seems like one of those rare centers who will probably go inside like the top 20 and no one will bat an eye at that. He is that good uh, in the run game. His leverage, uh, everything that he probably learned from on being on the mat and being a really, really good wrestler. Uh, he's very intense on every snap. There are no lethargic reps from him. His hand placement is almost always inside. And when he flashed a little bit in 2019, it was like, okay, he's he's quick, but he's, he's undersized. He needs to deal with power a little bit better. Tyler Linderbaum, especially as you mentioned, Bruce, the fact that the Bills have shown a little bit of a shift in their offensive philosophy with the zone blocking scheme. Tyler Linderbaum would be the ideal replacement for Mitch Morris if the Bills decide to let go of Mitch Morris after the season because he's, in terms of getting to the second level, getting those reach blocks across a gap, like that's where he excels, and I think he can get a a lot better, and I think we'll see a truly dominant center this season. If we're looking at guard, Kenyon Green from Texas A&M, and really Texas A&M has become a factory for offensive linemen. I think it's kind of the Jimbo Fisher effect that when he was at Florida safe for so long, they were consistently pumping out like NFL ready offensive linemen. And now that he's had some recruiting classes there at Texas A&M that are now juniors and seniors and have already graduated. Uh, he, we're kind of seeing the same thing happen there with the Aggies. Kenyon green is super explosive. He, for being 6364320 the, the way he fires out of his stance off the ball to get to the second level to uh down block, combo block, whatever he needs to do in the run game. I think being bigger and powerful for being that size, he is actually a pretty good uh on the move or mobile type of blocker that would fit the Bills uh if they do continue to to move toward this zone blocking scheme so kenyon green and tyler linderbaum i know i just said linderbaum is probably going to go in the top 20 and i think a lot of bills fans and probably you and me both expect the bills to not be picking in the 20 or in the early 20s or inside the top 20 Uh, but those two are the most nfl ready interior offensive linemen that i think a lot of people should be excited about It feels like every year or two, there is simply a consensus interior offensive
2: lineman that we all kind of throw positional value out the window for, Like David Mm -hmm. DeCastro, Quentin Nelson, you have these players where you go, listen, he's going to go in the first round and everyone's going to be okay with it. Like it doesn't matter where he goes. Everyone's going to be okay with it. Elijah Vera Tucker was that player for me. And when he went, when he goes to the New York jets, we go, okay. They drafted their quarterback. They protected him. Nobody bl- bl- blinked an eye at that. Now, they did blink an eye at them trading up for him and the value that that was appropriate. So it seems like every single year there's somebody, right? A year or two in between maybe, but there's somebody. But there's one interior offensive alignment I want to ask you about, and that's a player that I think Buffalo Bills fans are going to be very interested in. And it's not necessarily because they want him it's because his name is something they're familiar saying. So, one of the absolute stars of college football last year was Jared Patterson, running back from University at Buffalo, and he's been showing out for the Washington Football Team in the preseason to the point where they pretty much think he's going to make the team at the time of this recording. Mm-hmm. But yep. there's another Jared Patterson, the interior offensive line for Notre Dame, who is the only returning starter from a really good offensive line and a program that has been cranking out some really good offensive linemen recently. Tell me what you think about Jared Patterson.
1: Jared Patterson from Notre Dame is the classic Brian Kelly era offensive lineman. And you're right. I mean, we were talking about Texas A&M and other schools that have pumped out players at at other positions, Washington with their secondary. Notre Dame during the Brian Kelly era has Beyond the elite types like Ronnie Stanley or Zach Martin, there have been a lot of other like mid to late round picks that have stuck around that have been at worst, you know, good swing tackles or backup guards that are going to be in the NFL for a long time. And Jared Patterson just feels like that type of player. I don't know if he's going to be a first or a second round pick because what has been the case in terms of stylistic uh, descriptors during the Brian Kelly era. A lot of these Notre Dame blockers, they're not five-star recruits that are insanely long and have Jonathan Ogden-type athleticism, but they get a lot of experience early in their careers. The strength and conditioning program is very good there, and they're very fundamentally sound. I thought all of those offensive linemen, Robert Hainsey, um, who else was it? There was a bunch of other um, Notre Dame offensive linemen that were picked in the 2021 draft that all were kind of similar, that they got their hands inside. They could recover. They played with great leverage, despite not being amazing anchoring blockers. And that's Jared Patterson. And I like the fact too, that again, he's played a lot of football, the only returning starter, like you said, and he's not a freaky athlete, but I think he taps into every ounce of his athleticism. There's not a lot of wasted movement He can get to those three techniques on reach blocks that are so important. If you have a center that can do that, and I think the Bills do have one right now with Mitch Morse, that opens up the outside run game for you. That you can do those pin-pull sweeps where the center gets around a one technique or even out to a three technique and can be almost the lead blocker to start a play that's huge, and that's what Jared Patterson, I think, can give you. There are some, again, athletic and physical limitations with him, but he's going to be like a lot of these Notre Dame blockers have been highly regarded in the NFL, and even if in my grading system he doesn't uh, grade out very high because I, I I do think it is for most blockers pretty important to have the length and have the athletic um requirements that we see from a lot of these Pro Bowl players, he'll go a lot higher probably than I ultimately have him uh, graded. I mean, unless he has a a truly breakout year in his final season with the Fighting Irish. But he feels like if the Bills want to, you know, they've shown second, third, fourth round, they can pick offensive linemen. He feels like that type that can be picked there. And then by, say, midway through his rookie season, be a starting center in the NFL. I feel like with a lot of these Notre Dame blockers who
2: don't have like you said those incredible physical traits you can just copy and paste the scouting report boring technician boring technician it's just you watch it and you're just like yeah well his feet are in the right place right he's he's framing up blockers correctly he's shooting his hands correctly he's keeping them low everything's you know everything's doing what is supposed to be done when it comes to Notre Dame blockers so I want to move on to the last group of individuals. And this one is one that's probably going to be a little bit uncomfortable for me to talk about because I don't want to imagine a scenario where Ed Oliver doesn't work out. So we're going to ease our way into that. We're going to ease our way into this with the idea that there's a possibility that the future one tech of the Buffalo Bills is not currently on the roster, right? Harrison Phillips in a very significant year is currently, as we are recording this hurt again, Starla Tule. Recently had his contract restructured last year. He got a chance to kind of toll his contract for a year, but he's getting older and you're gonna to have to start looking for a one-tech replacement. When you would consider the fact that Sean McDermott and defensive line coach Eric Washington love to rotate their players, you probably need bodies in that scenario. Vernon Butler has been the same thing that Vernon Butler has always been, which is underwhelming since he was taken. And so I think that we need to start preparing ourselves for a potential. Upgrade or at least an investment in the defensive line at that specific position. What do you have on there? Because I have a three-tech I want to talk about a little later, but let's talk about bigger one techs right now. Let's talk about big boys right now. What do you got for me?
1: Jordan Davis to me from Georgia uh is probably the premier one technique, but that comes with a little bit of a caveat. It's obviously not. Uh, a position that is being that highly regarded anymore by NFL front offices and by draft analysts like myself, probably you too. You're not going to pick a one technique unless he's an amazing pass rusher in the first or maybe not even in the second round, which is nice for the Bills to have that future need and to say, hey, we can use at highest a third or a fourth round pick and get a quality nose tackle. That's kind of what it feels like with Jordan Davis He's six foot five, he's 330 pounds, looks the part, uh, experience in the SEC, very, very strong. Like it, he's kind of the classic nose tackle who I think carries his weight pretty well. Um, being listed at anywhere from six four to or six five to six six, three forty to three fifty. Uh, and when it comes to bench pressing centers that are have shorter arms or guards that aren't uh, crazy long. That's what he can do to push the pocket, but it's mostly him winning with his length, two-gapping, eating blockers. You definitely need to do that with Jordan Davis. He will assume a lot of double teams once he gets to the NFL, and I think the Bills have, in general, liked the uh, to have draft picks from marquee programs. I could see him also being a senior bowl type player. And we know the bills have an affinity for those types that get down there to mobile, Alabama. Uh, he can move outside a little bit if you need him to, but I really think in terms of premier one techniques, watch Georgia, their entire offensive line or defensive line. Kirby smart has done an amazing job recruiting there after leaving Alabama, but watched the Georgia defensive line. And if you want to zero in on the potential next one technique in Buffalo, that would be Jordan Davis. Jordan Davis kind of
2: popped for me last year because I was watching Aziz Jalari as one mm-hmm. of my favorite players to watch last year. Me too. Um, and I was a I was a big fan. I was like, who is that guy? I want to add another name to this list, Tavondre Sweat from Texas. There is an opportunity when you watch one Tex to really get lost in the two down nature of the job. And one yeah. of the things that can make one Tex not be pushed down the draft board, like you talked about, is if they have some sort of value on pass rushdowns right? And this is the Mm -hmm. reason why Vita Vea ended up being a success story as a first round, first round, you know, one tech it's because he offers you pass rush upside. So when you are scouting and looking at one techs, there's really a dividing line between people I'm willing to spend a day two pick on, or maybe even a late day one pick on and the people who I'm not willing to spend any pick on until day three. And that is, do they offer you that third down ability? It's the same thing with linebackers and running backs. If they don't, Offer you any ability in the pass game or on obvious third down, then you're really just hampering the possible ROI you're gonna get from them. And Tavondre Sweat is someone who I think offers you a little bit of pass rush upside. So moving along to three techs, I know I'm a little biased again. We're gonna talk about an Ohio State player, but you know what? They're a good team and they have lots of good players. Let's talk about Haskell Garrett. I know that you've had an opportunity to see Haskell Garrett defensive line for Ohio State has consistently been a big thing, mostly because they bring in five-star recruits and they have one of the best defensive line coaches in the country. So knowing that you you have players like Chase Chase Young and the Bosas who come out already very technically refined. People think they're freak athletes and they are freak athletes because they were five-star recruits. But in addition to that, they're much more technically refined than other pass rushers who come out of other programs because of the Ohio State defensive line coaching that they get. Haskell Garrett gets that on the interior of the defensive line. What do you think about Haskell Garrett?
1: Yeah, I mean, you describe the situation that he's in perfectly, that he's pretty talented. I don't think he's like an Oliver talented, but the situation, not only having great teammates around him, but the coaching on that defensive line, really that entire program that Garrett has gotten playing at Ohio State is really integral to his development. And we just see it with almost every single trench player on offense or defense at Ohio state. They're so good with their hands. And the first thing that I noticed is that this is not someone that in Haskell Garrett, that is just going to win with first up quickness and then burst to the quarterback. He understands pass rushing moves and leverage and countering off specific moves and bull rushing, and then swimming back to the inside or outside. So I really like that. He, he, maybe still has a little bit of a ways to go in terms of consistency using those moves, but he's not complacent. He understands, Hey, even in the big 10, I'm not going to just win with first step alone. He is that uh, classic three technique. You're not going to play him anywhere else. He's like six, one, six, two around 300 pounds, but that's of course the uh, sexy playmaking position on the defensive line, especially in the interior He just feels like someone that has a very high floor. I don't think, um, again, he has like high first round or even mid first round athletic traits, but the first step is good enough along with the polish that he shows as a pass rusher with his hands to be maybe a second or a third round pick that will be starting in a rotate or will be playing in a rotational type um, responsibility in his rookie season. He's definitely someone. The Bills fans should watch in case, like you said, Ed Oliver doesn't turn out, or just if the Bills want more juice on the inside of their pass rush. It's not just Ed Oliver and Justin Zimmer, like you mentioned in the intro. Brandon Bean was a part of that staff in Carolina that picked Star Latulele and then went Kawan short in the same draft. So Haskell Garrett could be someone that, in a pass rush only type of situation because he's not a great run defender i think at times he gets washed out against the run because he's just trying to get upfield so frequently and haskell garrett you can get him probably in the second round and don't hold me to any of these projections because these guys will fluctuate a ton of course not right, right now he feels like probably a second or a third round pick that can be a rotational player and a pure pass rushing specialist role and be good when he's still cheap on that rookie contract. Ladies and gentlemen, we did it.
2: We talked about the things we needed to talk about. I hope you feel prepared. I hope you had your pen and paper handy and we're writing these things down. If not, it's okay. You can go back and listen again, go back in time, put on your magical chicken wing hat, go back in time, grab a pen and paper, listen to it again, write down the names, positions and schools and get Your scouting started. Mr. Trabasso, CBS Sports, thanks so much for being here, man. Make sure everybody knows where they can find you, what you're up to, what you got coming down the pike. Hit me.
1: Bruce, thanks for having me. Uh, A lot of 2022 previews. We have a big board coming out at CBS Sports as a collaborative effort between myself, Ryan Wilson, and Josh Edwards, the three CBS Sports NFL Draft analysts. That'll be out right before week one. Uh, We figured we didn't need it out right before week zero because the slate wasn't crazy, but week one's schedule is very, very good. And then beyond NFL Draft stuff at CBS Sports, I do a lot of evaluations of young NFL players having scouted four draft classes. Now at CBS pitched it last year to my editors. I should be writing about these young players that I remember scouting and watching their uh, careers mature once they get to the NFL level. So a lot of previewing the NFL season, especially from a young player angle, Bruce, thanks for having me on and please have me on again when I've watched more players and whether that be in November or December or even maybe say February or March after the bill season to really dive deep into the draft. You can count on it, Chris. I appreciate it, man. And awesome. for those of you who didn't have your
2: pen and paper handy, I just got to tell you guys. That's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo. Rumpers.